Ed, how are you doing? Where were you when you found out? Very well, thanks. Ding dong, the Moise is gone. I was uh, in Tokyo, actually, as I have been for the past week or so. I ran on tour, uh, doing it tokyo style And uh, although, I have to say, the um, the decision was made somewhere around, I don't know, where was I flying over at the time? About China, I would say. Um, but I found out when I got into Tokyo and the rumours started spreading and then United officially confirmed it about a day later. Has there been dancing on the streets of, in the Far East? Have you seen a lot of smiling faces in Manchester United shirts around Tokyo? No. I have seen a lot of pictures of Shinji Kagawa though and uh, I've had more than one conversation with taxi drivers about why Kagawa doesn't play. <laughs> Yeah, they they should be presumably quite happy. Uh, It'll be very interesting to see if he's in Ryan Giggs' first lineup. All right, so let's start at the start. It was Sunday, the Everton game. It was a complete disaster. About 20 minutes into that game, I tweeted, for some reason, I feel like this is it. I feel like if we don't get back into this game, he's gone. That night, there was nothing. It was all all quiet in terms of rumours. Then the next day, around two o'clock in the afternoon, so that's Easter bank holiday Monday, that was when, simultaneously, all the journalists from the Times, I think it was, all tweeted identical rumour, basically, that this was it and Moyes was gone. And then we found out for sure at ten past eight the next morning. So what do you know about what went on behind the scenes? Then? Uh, as far as I understand, as everyone does, I think, uh, the there was a conference call between the, the main executives on Sunday night after the disaster that was uh, David Moyes' final and 51st game in charge. Um, so Woodward, uh, the Glazer brothers, Joel and Brian, and Ferguson and Charlton, uh, in which they talked about uh, Moyes' suitability for the job or not. Uh, and it seemed like uh, they were all of the mind that uh, he was out and decided to not make a call on it then and make a call on the morning. This is at least their official, you know, sort of line that's coming out. And then uh, made the, the final, final decision on Monday and told Moyes on, what, Tuesday morning, 8 o'clock. There you go. So apparently he was not informed ahead of the, the rumour breaking and that, that that was the first he knew of any of it. And the League Managers Association have uh, put out a statement saying they think Manchester United behaved very inappropriately. And I can't remember the exact wording, but something along those lines. And you described it, Ed, as uh, brutal. And I think maybe did you use the word deceitful or something like that? Disrespectful. Disrespectful because uh, because they'd made the decision and then told the press. Uh, don't believe uh, United's denial about this, that they hadn't made the decision till Monday evening. That's uh, simply not true. They were telling everyone they'd made the decision beforehand. So that's a disrespectful bit. I think they wanted to manage the message and look like they were in control and, and fair enough. But uh, actually what they did was leave Moyes hanging on. And that said, I have to say I'd find very few reasons to defend the United decision. I think after 10 months and uh, no upturn in United's fortunes and uh, apparently I didn't see the game because I was on a plane but apparently another disastrous performance against Everton it's uh, almost certainly the right decision and especially if United are going to spend loads of money which uh, appears to have been the quid pro quo with the media doesn't it that uh, they let them know about the Moyes uh, impending sacking uh, in return for a bunch of rosy stories about how much money United are going to spend this season. (laughs) I mean it's not like really United have had to offer much in the way of quid pro quo to get um journalists writing about how much we're going to spend because that's been going on for five six years hasn't it so we'll see some absolutely shocking transfer rumors we'll come to that a bit later in the show but the moist thing 
obviously I've been completely unabashed about believing that Moy should have been should be relieved of his duties and you know I've got a bit of a conscience about celebrating the fact that this has happened because a there are things that are genuinely problematic about it which again we'll come on to to do with player power and all that kind of stuff but b it's a man that's lost his job and I kind of you know soothe my conscience a bit by the sense that you know he's earned 10 million pounds for ruining Manchester United essentially and money doesn't mean that much ultimately you know personal pride can't be replaced with financial wealth but it surely must ease the blow somewhat and he seems to believe that he should have genuinely been given more time because he d- he described it as a fundamental rebuilding process that was needed at the club. And I have to say, it really got my goat when he said that because this is the kind of myopia that Moyes has displayed all season, that, that his vision of the way things are just seems so far out of whack with reality. It's happened time and time and time again. You wrote a piece, said 50 mistakes that he's made in his 50 games in charge. Uh, it wouldn't be too hard to add to that, would it? No, it really wouldn't. In fact, uh, afterwards, I, I came up with about 15 in my own mind that I'd missed out. So, uh, I, look, it, it, right from the beginning, right from the beginning, there, there were problems with Moyes. And um, Danny Taylor in The Guardian put it nicely, I think, when he said that there's, there's perhaps only eight uh, it managers who can kind of cope with the elite clubs around Europe, and that's why they keep doing the rounds. And and maybe that's true. Maybe that's true. And and Moyes was far from that. He's been found out. You know, it's the epitome of the Peter principle. He he got promoted above his station, and and unfortunately, United have paid a price. I think for uh, not going through the due diligence process. I go I go on about this on Twitter all the time, and I guess it's because I've you know I've worked in the world of business for a number of years and and there is a a really strict due diligence process I went through five interviews to get my current job not that I'm saying it's as important as David Moyes it's certainly not but he was appointed on a nod and a wink from a a guy who'd retired you know what kind of due diligence is that it's it's criminal it really is criminal and it's really only because he's a non-executive that uh, the investors you know i.e the Stock Exchange, the SEC, don't have a word about that because it's it's no way to appoint the most important person in the club, quote Alex Ferguson. Absolutely. Rankcast listener at Centre Midfield wrote a really interesting thing about cronyism and this appointment was an act of profound cronyism. The only qualification that Moyes had for the job was being Alex Ferguson's mate and having kind of managed a mid-table club to a certain level. And Ferguson recognised himself in Moyes. But what I maintain, and this is this is speculative, but it's what I genuinely believe, I think that Ferguson saw himself in Moyes because of the cultural resonance. You know, because he knew his dad, because he knew where he'd come from, the the football team he played for when he was a little kid, all that kind of stuff. So actually, rather than recognising any kind of um, actual qualities that Ferguson had, the kind of steeliness, the will to win and all that kind of stuff, what he saw instead was the cultural familiarity. And he mistook that for being the personality to take on the job because he gets the job right. He's been a, a mid-table manager for 10 years. He, Preston Standard, as Ray Bobbin says, and the Everton Standard. You know, he never won anything with Everton. And that isn't a deal breaker in itself. But I think after 10 years, the fact that he never really even got close to winning anything 
should genuinely be a concern. And more than anything else, the reason why he never won anything should be a concern. Because he just did not have winning in him. He was always more afraid of losing than prepared to gamble to win. And I cite this all the time, but the Arsenal-Everton game, when he was fifth in, and, and a draw did him absolutely no good, he went to the Emirates and played appallingly within their shells. Everton played that day, and they were set up to do so. You know, so here's this man giving the job on a nod and a wink by someone who doesn't have the best record with managerial appointments. Also, the man who highly recommended Alec McLeish to uh, Aston Villa, you know, <laughs> um, it misreading what he saw in Moyes. That's my view of it. And it's a, a pretty un- like unflattering one to Alex Ferguson. But it's how I feel about it. No, I think it's right. I think it's right. And uh, I mean, it's right to start right at the beginning and, and uh, work out what went wrong there. And There have been a rash of stories afterwards saying that United, maybe they need a general manager or a director of football or something like that. And and maybe so, maybe so. What they certainly needed was a due diligence process that that worked out whether he was the right man for this job. And you know that they didn't do that. And uh, these are the results. But anyway, look, that that was the appointment. You go get into the summer, and it all went spectacularly wrong, didn't it? You know, first Moyes comes thundering in, sacks all the coaches, or doesn't do enough to keep them there. Loses a ton of history and experience in the coaching staff. Brings all of his own men in there. Um, sets up this boot camp and has United you know, players doing long running. It's called a dinosaur by Raymond Verheyen. Uh, remember that one alienated a bunch of players from the start uh, and then went on this long sort of tour of Australasia in which they played no one of any you know, quality and, and ended up starting the season sort of overbaked uh, in terms of you know fitness training and, and undercooked with the ball. Yeah, we can't forget Raymond, uh, what's his name, calling him a dinosaur because he has not stopped calling him a dinosaur since. There's this story that's been doing the rounds of Moyes having taken Everton to... Australia a few years previously and having a great bonding session on Bondi Beach and you know have really got got a lot out of it as a squad and he tried to replicate the same thing with United and it was a, a spur of the moment decision it wasn't a pre-planned trip or anything and United were absolutely mobbed and ended up locked into a nightclub uh, waiting for a bus to come and pick them up and this this kind of really beautifully encapsulates the massive cultural gulf between being an Everton manager and a United manager. And, you know, you mentioned the coaches. You wrote, like, um, he's appointed Giggs and Phil Neville to kind of slightly offset the Evertonisation of Manchester United. But it's really clear that in terms of the power structures at the club, the, the club were completely Evertonised. The training was Evertonised. The tactics were Evertonised. The, the way the club was spoken about was Evertonised. And he never really got to grips with the fact that what he was dealing with was on this massive scale. A lot has been talked about knee-jerk, the knee-jerk reaction and the need for him to be given time. But at no point anywhere along the way has he ever shown any promise. You know, it's not like things were changing, right? Well, no, and that's the point. That's why he's gone. I think if there was a some kind of upward trajectory, then he'd still be in a job, right? And there isn't, and he's not as a result. So Evertonisation thing was a, was a real problem, and I think it ended up creating a faction within the club, and it was, what, the Everton mob, 
uh, they started being called. And uh, I think it was just really, really, really clear that there was Moyes and his coaches and his players. So Rooney, who he'd pandered to incessantly since the beginning, and Fellaini. And there were a number of senior players who were alienated. Rio Ferdinand being a clear one, but a bunch of other players who barely ever played. And you just can't imagine there were unhappy players under Ferguson's time. But he either managed that, put the arm around the shoulder or got rid. And um, Moyes had such a group of unhappy players. Unhappy with him, the manager, his his training, his tactics, the personality, um, the loss of Ferguson, obviously. Um, that it, he, you know, he that was probably the reason why he thought there was a fundamental rebuilding needed. You know, he just didn't believe in these players. But um, I have to say, a top coach wouldn't have thought that. I don't think. Absolutely not, because it bears repeating, as a, as it has been infinitely repeated, that he took over the champions of England, eleven points champions, strolled to the league title. Admittedly, opposition squads were strengthened, and the emergence of Liverpool. I don't think anyone would have predicted it would have been so spectacular, and it was not a perfect squad, although. It was the squad of players that had gone absolutely toe to toe with Real Madrid in, you know, the February before he took over or whatever. Ultimately, they were defeated in that, but they definitely didn't disgrace themselves. They definitely did not look out of place on the absolute highest stage of world football, right? United were pretty, for all Moises talked about bad luck, United were genuinely a bit unlucky to lose to Real Madrid. So this myth that he is propagated that the squad is just a bunch of useless, aged clodhoppers. The fact is that he started making mistakes straight away in terms of the squad. You mentioned several times the mismanagement of Kagawa's pre-season and the, his over-involvement in commercial activities and sort of making him in and out of the squad. And it took him six months to get over that, right? One of the reasons he's underperformed so badly this season is just how broken his preseason was, right? Well, I think it was very poor, and he had a, he had a break of the Confederations Cup. He came back essentially for a press conference and a few marketing activities. Uh, he had forty five minutes, and then he went back off on preseason. So he, he turned up in the you know, the actual sort of season, not ready for it. So they, they would have been better just to give him the break and then bring him back. But that was just symptomatic. I mean, it's not. It's one example of of how Moyes has mismanaged his squad this season. The other good example is Rio Ferdinand, who played sort of seven of the first eight games, didn't play for another three months after that, looked burned out. Tom Cleverley at one stage played sort of five games in eight days and then uh, made some mistakes against City and then was dropped. Uh, it just it gave the impression all the time that Moyes had no idea what to do with a squad as large and diverse as United them. He claimed that he wanted to give everyone a chance, but there were players he didn't give a chance to and he immediately excluded. There were players that he he played all the time, never got a rest. I mean, in fact, apart from injuries, I don't think Rooney's ever really had a rest. He just didn't understand how to do it. I mean, maybe it's a learning process. Maybe he never had a squad that size when he was manager of Everton, but maybe also that's a good reason for him not to be appointed in the first place. Absolutely. And I feel like of of a lot of the things that he's got wrong, that's the one which I actually would have the most patience for. You know, you'd have the most kind of understanding, oh yeah, he doesn't know how to do this. But the the Ferdinand thing was terrifying because, you know, we were all looking at each other every time the the team sheet was announced and he was on it again, thinking, well, this is just going to wreck him. And lo and behold, of course, it wrecked him. Raymond, how do you pronounce his surname, Ed? Verheyen? Raymond Verheyen. I'm guessing. Maybe it's not. Okay. He was adamant that the training 
would ruin Van Persie. And he might be wrong, it might be a coincidence, but Van Persie is certainly ruined. He's had a dreadful season beset by injuries following two injury-free seasons. Mm. And I mean, I don't think it's reading too deeply between the lines to suggest that Robin Van Persie does not like David Moyes whatsoever. Well, yeah. I mean, they, they did have a falling out over the training and in the end, they came to a compromise over it. Van Persie's used to effectively setting his own training regime and managing his body in the way that suits him best. And, and that's why he managed after all these years and the experience told. Same same with Ryan Giggs, by the way, that he kind of understood his body better and, and had those two injury-free seasons in a row as a result. And Moyes didn't want to do that. Eventually, they came around to that conclusion. But it wasn't just the the kind of overtraining, to use Moyes' words. It was the fact that he forced Van Persie to come back early from injury. It did the same to Rooney as well. There was that spectacular game when Van Persie stayed on the whole game. Mm. And Moyes said, oh, well... Uh, you know, look what the fans and the press would have said if I'd taken them off. And and actually, I, I wholly blamed Moyes for that and not Van Persie because, of course, if asked, Van Persie's going to say, I'm fine. Yeah. Uh, imagine what would be said about him yeah. Yeah, if it looked like he wanted to come off. And, uh, and, you know, this is the manager's job to decide and he didn't make that decision. So, you know, I think he's mismanaged the squad and he mismanaged injuries. And, uh, you know, two of the players who've missed most time this season are Rooney and Van Persie. And, and you'd say they were two of United's key players. The, the, the one that's missed the most time is Raphael. And I suppose we're not surprised about that one because uh, he is made of glass. Well, he is, but he also spent the whole season before without injury. You know, so... I'm not saying that it is definitely Moyes' fault that that recurred, but, you know, it's another thing in the mix, right? Mm. He made mistakes from day one. The accepted wisdom is that he turned down the option of United buying Thiago for a absolute bargain price. And now, of course, this is speculation, but you think it's really well-sourced speculation, right? That this is what happened. Well, I think United were well down the, the track to signing him, yes. And in the same way, they are well down the track to signing Luke Shaw. So uh, maybe it wouldn't have come off. Uh, maybe uh, Bayern's intervention would have made it inevitable that he was going there anyway. Maybe, but United has spent a long time on that deal. And and it was a bargain, yeah, 21 and a half million euros or 17, 16, 17 million pounds. And he's been outstanding for Bayern this season in, for most of the time in a kind of holding role. I mean, I have to say, it's hard to say who's got what role at the Bayern side because uh, Pep's in charge. But most of the time, the kind of <laughs> deepest lying midfielder. Been unlucky with injuries in the latter part of the season, but been very, very good player. And I think it would have uh, made a big difference to United's midfield. Certainly would have had more control of midfield than with Mara and Fellaini in the side. Yeah, and so like there he is kind of slagging off the squad and like again, there is going to be a few times here where you've got to put the mitigating view in because it has not all been Moyes' fault this season. So apparently, so the story goes, Moyes was pretty confident that the executive would get the deal done on Fabregas, Herrera, even Ronaldo was being talked about in genuinely serious terms, apparently. I mean, you'd have to say... Mm that this is kind of wide-eyed fantasy if you think this is coming to pass because the whole time the Fabregas transfer was happening, every one of us watching on was thinking, we've just been played here, right? Fabregas isn't... He spent, you know, five years at Arsenal waiting to go back to Barcelona. He's finally back at Barcelona. He's not going to leave two seasons in, however badly it's going, you know. Mm. 
And it wasn't going badly. No, uh, well, quite exactly. Some of the, the press. Um, funny, his name has popped up again in in more than one paper. So you know that Wu has been on the briefing. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, spectacular. Yeah, look, he was definitely let down. I mean, I think Moyes didn't have uh, direct control of the transfers. It sounds actually he's had more involvement in the build-up uh, to the transfer window this time round than he did last time round. But. You had a combination of Moyes coming in. You know, he just looks naive, doesn't he? And Edward were definitely naive. And United had uh, lost the, the kind of fixer in David Gill. Uh, and so that window went spectacularly wrong. Look, no one's blaming Moyes entirely. And you're right to point that out. Because actually, it, this is not the best squad ever. Uh, I don't think it's anywhere near as bad as Moyes points out. But um, there are much better Ferguson squads, the 2000 sort of six to eight squad it was very, very good. Obviously, the period around sort of 1997 to 2001, very, very good. This was not a vintage. Uh, there are some older players. Uh, there are some younger players who haven't grown into their skin yet. Um, it is missing quality in the centre of the park. So, yeah, not the best ever. I think if if United had not won the league, no one would have been that surprised. Under Moyes, that is. I think everyone expected United to qualify for the Champions League still because this was still a Champions League qualifying squad standard right absolutely and and you know it's definitely not the best of ferguson's squads but it's nowhere near the worst either we are not in a sort of 2003 to 2005 jemba jemba slump here you know there is quality absolutely everywhere on the pitch apart from in the center of midfield and actually like michael carrick had a really good season last season and a magnificent season the season before that you know He's had a stinker this season, mind you. Yeah, horrendous. Funnily enough, on, on a side note, and, and you know, not to divert the conversation, uh, Michael Carrick is Paddy Curran's player of the season, so says Paddy <laughs> on MUTV. Good, good one. Well, Paddy Curran is definitely my insane pundit of the season, so, you know, there we go. Everyone's getting an award. <laughs> I can't quite get over how you could watch United this season and think that Michael Carrick... I love Michael Carrick. I'm not part of the, you know, Michael Carrick is a useless coward squad of whom there are many very vocal members. Um, But yeah, the idea that somehow he's been United's player of the season is amazing that somebody could hold that view. So yeah, anyway, like everywhere else on the pitch, pretty much there is quality, you know, and there are issues too. There's not enough cover in certain spots and there's a little too much mediocrity in certain spots. But brilliant players everywhere and he has also strengthened that to go back to the transfer window the catastrophe it was the fact that we bought an Everton player for four million pounds more than it would have cost us to buy him two weeks earlier and the fact that we bought him at all for anywhere close to that kind of money it just looks really crazy in hindsight well it does yeah I mean, just mental. But that was Moyes dithering, wasn't it? Dithering Dave, as they called him at Everton. And we should have should have known, really, shouldn't we? Uh, well, we did, Ed. We did. <laughs> like, not to pat ourselves on the back too much, but we were fairly adamant about how this was going to turn out. I mean, I, I went from... I was devastated when he got the job. Like, I, look, I read back through my tweets um, around that time, and it was just like, well, I can't see how this is going to work, but okay, I guess it's what we're trying, so let's try and be optimistic about it. And, you know, spent a few months going, David Moore's ready to oh, mate, you know, feeling a bit weird about doing it. But the season started abysmally. The fixtures were not kind to Moyes, but his response to them was really worrying. The kind of like, oh, I don't think the balls, I think there was, the balls didn't come out of the bag fairly there. It's like, they don't, they don't make the league fixtures by 
drawing balls out of a bag, David. It's a, a really complex calculation based on like security and all that kind of stuff. So, no. Anyway, that was kind of silly. And, and later on, he referred back to it, saying that the uh, the Premier League had got what they wanted out of this season by giving Man United such a hard start. Because yeah, it's definitely in the Premier League's interest to minimise the success of their most popular, serious global brand. You know, well, quite. I mean, that was just not becoming of a Manchester United manager. Although, I have to say, Ferguson said stuff like that too <laughs> yeah. and Mourinho does almost every week so you know whatever game you want to play I suppose yeah uh, look it's um there are so many reasons to to look back with hindsight and say my god you know what happened there maybe in 20 years time we'll look back on the David Moyes era and, and sort of laugh about it well yeah I mean I've sort of been laughing about it as it's been happening really as well because it's been the only kind of response like Gallo's humour is the immediate refuge isn't it when when things are going like this and and mm. you know there's there's been some positives to the season the atmosphere at Old Trafford has been much better the away fans have been just like ridiculous in their in their kind of quality in terms of atmosphere although really horrible thing at Everton unveiling a justice for the 39 banner and a few at least a few people chanting justice for the 39 yeah just let's not even get into that but it's subhuman behavior but yeah the away fans have have put in like an incredible shift in terms of noise and support for the team and actually like it's a kind of weird thing because there was also an enormous amount of vocal support for David Moyes but it was like I don't know there was no substance to that support right I don't mean there was no substance to it as in it wasn't heartfelt, but it did not take long for even the most kind of willing person to just go, do you know what, this is just not working. Well, I think I think that very quickly morphed from support for David Moyes into support for the club, didn't it? The, the songs about David Moyes, the everyone, every single one of us supports David Moyes, that disappeared after a while, post-Christmas. And it was uh, 20 twi- times, 20 times Man United and, and all the rest of them and... So I think there was support and maybe the atmosphere in social media is very different from the atmosphere in the terraces uh, and as it should be. But uh, I think in the end, it was support for the club that came through and not support for David Moyes. I don't see too many people uh, you know, with tears rolling down their cheeks that David Moyes is gone. It's an interesting thing about the fans because David Moyes spent a season praising the fans indeed in his... Um, his letter sent out to season ticket holders this week, he praises the fans. Rather unfortunate timing, I think, with that one. But it said over and over again how great the fans were. And I think he was smart enough to recognise that they were the last straw, right? If the fans had turned against him, he would have been sacked long before now, I suppose. Although that clause in his contract seems to have been the trigger point, the clause that said that they could give him a um, one-year payoff if uh, United didn't make the Champions League and they mathematically couldn't make the Champions League after loss to Everton. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because the, the reason I was I was thinking about it, what, why is it that I thought during that Everton game, this is it now? And it, I, I have to say, I was not thinking about the specifics of David Moyes' uh, contract. But what happened after the Liverpool game? So you had this horrible defeat and then the fans were extraordinary after that game and the players basically didn't look like they were up for the season at hardly any points there was a period around Christmas where he played a lot of very average teams put a decent run of performance was like a good few matches unbeaten although there were some pretty limp draws in that unbeaten run but we did you know when actually like not to just be team Welbeck but when Rooney and Van Persie were both out and Welbeck was banging them in every week we looked pretty good for a bit there but then everything sort of slipped away the Olympiacos game 
was the apotheosis, the the absolutely the worst moment of the season, really, in terms of performance. Amazing stories about that game, that Moyes is there arguing with the fourth official near the end of the game, and someone on the United bench perfectly audibly says something along the lines of, uh, send him off, ref, we'd be better off. And he said that at a volume that could be heard. No idea who it was that said that. My guess would be one of the younger players, I don't know. Hmm. Well, just look at the bench and who was on the bench and who wasn't. I- I'm thinking Mr. Uh, Mr. TC23 might be uh, suspicious. <laughs> Just, just you know, putting it out there. <laughs> Maybe so. Um, so I guess we've got to talk a bit more about player behaviour in a minute because there are some really problematic aspects to that. But, but yeah, so then you get the Liverpool game where the United fans, in sheer defiance of Liverpool, just sing 20 times for 25 minutes, the last 10 minutes of the game and then 15 minutes after the game. Like, Old Trafford has never emptied that slowly after a 3-0 defeat ever. It was really extraordinary. It was really moving to watch because it was a defiance and it was also celebration. It's like, yeah, okay, you can, we, we have fallen and that's fair enough, but everything we've seen, there's no generation of football fans barely anywhere in the world that would recognise the level of success and fantastic football that we've all seen. And and all that was contained in that kind of outburst. And it did genuinely inspire the players, I think. I think there was a bounce from that where the players, until they were knocked out of the Champions League, started to play for the fans. And I might be being overly sentimental, but I really don't think I am. I really think that is what happened. Because you could see how the players were affected by that. When they talked about it, you could tell when someone's offering a platitude, oh yeah, the fans were great today, and when someone was moved by what they'd seen. And you couldn't fail to be moved by that. So then you get this kind of bump until after the Bayern game and then the Everton game where I've rarely ever seen such an obvious demonstration of players not playing for their manager. You know, because that day wasn't about the fans anymore. That was Everton, that was Moyes' old club. There was so much personal at stake for Moyes and the players just were not prepared to put that shift in for him. Mm, Right. Well, the secret footballer in his columns talks about how players have this group think and how they're able to get rid of a manager if they just don't want him. And one of the ways is uh, by dropping their performance levels five or ten percent. And clearly that's what happens. They just didn't believe in him. There were there were so few of them by the end, I think, that did believe in him maybe maybe Wayne Rooney and Mara and Fellaini were the only ones we'll find out in time I suppose but yeah very very obvious that the players this season have underperformed and and there's a lot of blame to be put on them as well because I think it's unprofessional uh, it's certainly that performance in Greece was outrageous in how poor it was but a lot of it's to do with the fact they just don't believe in this guy but I think maybe the fans thought that we didn't have prima donna players like that that somehow they weren't as mercenary and that they loved the club and uh, you know we might have to rethink that a little bit Uh, maybe they didn't love the club uh, because their dislike of David Moyes came above whatever they feel for the club you know in the end they were professionals and they were looking after themselves first by uh, you know going through this group thing and getting rid of the manager. Neil Custis in the Sun today said that Moyes accused them of exactly that twice once after the Sunderland game he said I know what you're trying to do or something like that and then again after the Olympiacos game I know you're trying to get rid of me and you just think wow if he really did say that out loud to them that's I mean it's a pretty weak way to give a rollicking 
to your players, isn't it? Because you're immediately putting yourself on the defensive. And if you look at the kind of nuance of that, you actually really empower the aggressor by saying, oh, I know what you're trying to do here. It's like, well, yeah, they are trying to do it. They're going to keep trying to do it, especially if it's working. You know, it's like a bully seeing a bullied character and and picking on them extra because it's it's clearly having an effect and and there is a there is a kind of horrible snidey bullying quality to some of the stories that have gone on and you know this is all briefing and counter briefing and part of me also has some sympathy for a group of incredible elite professionals suddenly being put in the charge of someone who is nowhere near qualified so it's like yeah they're going to kick off and you, you would you would hope that they would have enough professional pride not to do that but i think i think it was knocked out of them because also it wasn't just their kind of reputations at stake, but it was also their bodies. You know, because if, if a big problem here was actually the training, then there really is a lot at stake for these players. I'm not, by the way, excusing their behaviour because cause it's been really sickening to read about some of this stuff. It's been horrible, right? At the same time, the stakes are high, right? Well, they are high. And, and since we're on the uh, topic of speculating about what Moyes might have said in the dressing room, one of the things that has apparently annoyed the players is that his demeanour in front of the press is very much like his demeanour in the dressing room. So when he came out after the Everton game and said, I thought we played brilliantly, we passed the ball really well, he went into the dressing room and said that too. Right? And whereas Ferguson, you know, might have said that in front of the cameras, then then he would have ripped them a new one uh, when he got into the dressing room. And uh, it just showed the players that they, they had a manager who was weak in charge, I'm afraid. And, and look, talking on that subject of the press, is this not the thing that has annoyed everyone the most? Uh, you know, his sort of mixed messages, the ridiculous overconfidence one day followed by the the negativity uh, the next the saying they that united it should aspire to be like city you know, declaring liverpool favorites at old trafford hoping and trying a lot you really tried and then he tried again. Yeah, all the while failing, uh, ironically. <laughs> it's great credit to Roberto, but there was a group of players there always capable of moving, improving and moving further up the league, he said. Yes. In retort to Martinez saying, uh, hang on a minute, this is the squad that won the Premier League last season. Uh, and no, right, it's not the squad that won the Premier League last season. They've added two players to this. Uh, and if you compare the United squad to the Chelsea squad, United is better. Ouch. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I do not need to lift my spirits after Newcastle. That raised my spirits. That's when when we lost at home to Newcastle. Uh, Newcastle are coming to Old Trafford. We're going to make it as difficult for them as we possibly can. Ooh, big big time um, Newcastle. <laughs> just uh, We maybe lacked a bit of fortune in some of the games. It's tough because the expectancy is to win all the games. Uh, this one, this one, peak Moyes, as Musa Kwanga described it. Uh, we created numerous opportunities against Stoke. We must have got to the byline eight or nine times. Yes. Well, and there you go. So tactics, the thing that annoyed people the second most, maybe the one dimensional, at times long ball, that, that Stoke game, United kept punting the ball long and it's blowing an absolute gale. It was just amazing. And uh, you, you can't work out whether that's Moyes instructing them to bang it long. Was that their game plan? Uh, was it the players? They just couldn't be bothered to try something else. The 82 crosses against Fulham. The very, very clear pattern of play, which is basically keep the ball in very safe areas, get it out wide as quickly as possible, knock it in the box, son. 
and uh, you know all of this so annoying and he just didn't get it you know I think the thing we're saying when when we talk about Moyes in the dressing room or Moyes in front of the press or Moyes's tactics or Moyes's training is he just did not get it what it takes to be a Manchester United manager in fact really what it takes to be a manager of any of the Europe's elite clubs yeah uh, because I think and don't laugh, I think if Moyes had been appointed as manager of any of Europe's elite clubs, then he'd have probably got a very similar reaction. Yeah, except he'd have been sacked in January, right? I mean, there's no way he would have survived as long as he did. If he'd, you know, he just like if Moyes had got the Real Madrid job, I mean, this is... The, the, the extent to how laughable that sounds is how bad an appointment it was. What? David Moyes? <laughs> I mean, it should be laughable for United to appoint a manager who would not have been given a job at any of Europe's other clubs and you can you can romanticize it to a certain extent and say oh well we're different but we're not different we've never been different no football clubs are not that different from each other one group of fans is not much better or more glorious or whatever than others United have been a very successful club they're a very specifically glamorous club they've got a wonderful kind of DNA of quality excitement adventure you know Oliver Holt wrote this insanely reductive piece suggesting that United had now lost their identity following the sacking of David Moyes which is a ridiculous because United have sacked every manager who has not been knighted that's been the manager in the post-war years you know you, you've got two choices right you're either going to get knighted and, and thought of as one of the greatest managers of all time or you're going to get the sack and you're not always going to get that long Wilf McGuinness got 18 months in the 1960s when I think football was a little less pressure than it is right now you know it's laughable anyway but also if United lost their identity when they sacked David Moyes they sure as heck lost their identity when they appointed David Moyes in the first place because mm. here is a manager who is synonymous with very uh, with like slightly above average football you know right well they sure as hell lost their identity when they IPO'd in New York registered the company in the Cayman Islands and were taken over by a bunch of American carpetbaggers. Well, quite. And, uh, you know, yeah, exactly. So l- let's not pretend and try and divorce. I mean, you know, talk about being reductive. You want to divorce the team from the institution it's become. I'm sorry, you know. it's uh, It was very nice to think that uh, United wanted some kind of stability and long-term thinking. And I think that's great to aim for. But the fact is that success gives you stability and long-term. They talked about continuity, and I couldn't ever work out what that meant other than David Moyes is Scottish. You know, he, he was loyal to Everton. He stayed at Everton all those years. Great. Great, you know, praise be to David Moyes for staying at Everton all those years. Maybe he realised that he'd found his level. But also, I don't think there's a scenario in which just giving a guy more time, if he's the wrong manager, is going to you know, lead you to success. I don't. He was never going to grow into an elite manager, I guess. And, uh, and that's why he's gone. Anyway, a lot of reductive stuff mentioned about Moyes in the press this week, I think, really. And I have to say, I was surprised how easy he got it for very, very many months and how, how much he's been deconstructed in the last few days as a result. Obviously, a lot was being held back in the bank, which all journalists do. You want the right time to publish, otherwise you just look vindictive. Unless you're the Daily Mail, I suppose. And then you really want to look vindictive because evil, vindictive people is your core demographic. Yes, 
Alle- allegedly. Uh, no, no. <laughs> Pretty sure it stands up in court. Um. Very good. Anyway, so, you know, it's been a horrible period. There's been an outpouring of joy or relief. You know, relief is what I felt anyway, I think. And, you know, not that I'd got to the point where I was calling for his head, although 50 reasons why he's failed might <laughs> might be interpreted that way, I suppose. <laughs> Yeah, um, is edmoiseout.info changed to, yes, we think, about a week ago, uh, you were no for a long time there on is Ed Moiseout. So I can go now because it's redundant, right? Well, yes, I suppose so. Uh, hashtag gigs out. Zero <laughs> percent win record, no goals. Sorry, Giggsy, but you're, you're failing here. Ironic, though, given like how anti-defensive training he was, we haven't conceded any. So, you know, maybe maybe Giggs is tightening up the ship after all. Maybe, maybe. So I guess that does indeed bring us... I mean, I have to say, like, I, I am absolutely delighted that Moyes has gone. There's no, there's no two ways about it. It's not a malicious glee. It's a glee based on relief. The fact that we don't have to endure a summer and at least half a season or whatever of those press conferences, of the fact that we're not going to have to endure someone talking about Wayne Rooney in that way every time, the fact that he, every step of the way, as you said, like he just said the wrong thing, did the wrong thing, and in a really specifically draining way, it was really draining to follow, like because obviously like we we not just follow it, but sort of cover it as well, it was really draining to cover United, because I, I don't like reporting on what I think's wrong you know i'd much rather be celebratory and 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 it's not just about celebrating this isn't about being a glory hunter right this is not about celebrating victories it's about celebrating stuff being done in the right way you know and the fun stuff and the kind of triumph if the results were identical and the attitude was better if the results were identical and there was some hope of the that the tactics were being improved and all that kind of stuff First of all, it's an impossible hypo- hypothetical because the results wouldn't have been identical if that was happening. You know, the results would have been improved by more positivity, both on and off the pitch. Yes. Well, just look at Everton. Anyway, we will try <laughs> very hard to be more positive about the next man. And hopefully he'll do really well if we have lots of luck. <laughs> so um, Ryan Giggs is Manchester United manager. We get to record a podcast talking about Ryan Giggs being Man United manager. I've had a, a head cold for two weeks and I've got like, a really busy week next week. I've had a really busy week this week. And so I just cannot go to Manchester on Saturday night. But I'm going to have to, like, I don't know, lock myself in the house or something to get myself to not just, like, hop in the car at midday and, and try and get to get a last-minute ticket or something. Because it, the idea of seeing Ryan Giggs's Manchester United in action, sadly, there's probably not going to be too many opportunities because the club have been extremely adamant that, as with a, a question from one of my Twitter favourite people, at Machine Gun, uh, saying, with Giggs and Skulls and Pip and Butt running the team, do we actually want Louis van Gaal? Isn't this the dream? And it's like, yeah, it's the dream, but I feel like it might be a dream too far. I can't see the board gambling on unproven managers at top level for another season. No, I don't think so. If they were going to make that gamble, maybe they should have done it last summer. Yeah, I mean, it's it's nice, isn't it? The class of 92 returns to take over the United managerial job. Uh, I wonder if uh, David Bex is on the phone saying, give us a job. Go on, give us a job. (laughs) 
So, of course, Neville isn't really in the class of 92. He's kind of faked his way in there, hasn't he? You know? He has, but I don't hold that against him. And I do think it's kind of interesting that he hasn't been booted out too. Like, he's obviously like his Manchester United-ness is deeper than his Everton-ness. Yes, yeah, interesting. All the others have gone. Chris Woods hasn't either. I suppose they do need a no. goalkeeping coach in the last few weeks, and then they'll probably give him the boot too. Although, that said, I doubt maybe he's done it. a good think... job because De Gea has had a fine season. Although he had a fine season last season too. He did. But Chris Woods is an, you know, was an elite goalkeeper, and clearly De Gea has not suffered at all from being in Woods's hands. No. Yeah, and and obviously if De Gea was unhappy with Woods, given that the players are totally, quite literally running the show now, um, I think uh, he would have been gone too. Yes, well, the lunatics certainly took over the asylum in that winter trip to Dubai, but uh, hopefully it's not too lunatic from here on in. So look, anyway, let's talk about some. Uh, Moyes replacement candidates Uh, we've been chatting away for an hour or so about Moyes' downfall we could probably chat for another couple of hours about that couldn't we (laughs) yeah we could but there are some replacements I mean it does look like it's coming down to Van Gaal who is odds on favourite at the moment to get the job even though he's not available until mid-July and you know one of the feelings was that United were behind last summer by uh, Moyes not joining until the 1st of July so it's uh, Bit, bit interesting that one, although the club seem confident they can play, sign players anyway. Um, and then Carlo Ancelotti uh, into six to one or five to one in with some bookies there, so very very tight. Uh, Jose Mourinho, Jose, you can get between fourteens and sevens depending on your bookie there. You could have got forty to one yesterday, so there's something going on there, obviously. Well, Jose, as we know, has been trying to get himself spectacularly sacked, hasn't he? Uh, with some of his utterings, he's desperate for the job. He cried like a baby when he didn't get it last summer. And uh, he really, really wants it now. But uh, So, look, anyway. Let, let... Does he, though? Like, do, you, do you really think that he really wants to... Like, he would make himself into a hate figure at Chelsea in order to take the United job? No, I, I, don't, I don't think so. I think he was very angry about it. But I, I think if there was an inkling that he wanted it, that yeah, United apparently are prepared to pay compensation to get the right man. So, look, Van Gaal, Ancelotti, let's discount Mourinho. I think it's too long a shot. Klopp has said he doesn't want the job, which is... Uh, a shame. Can I just talk about Klopp for a minute? Like, just, just, go, go just ahead. give me a second to like get misty-eyed here. So, there's this accusation if you think that Jurgen Klopp should be Man United manager that somehow that makes you a football hipster. Like, I would be a terrible football hipster. I had to Google what an enganch was uh, about three months ago. So, like, I'm I'm just not a good football hipster. I don't know anything about Colombian football uh, apart from Falcao. I don't think I could tell you someone else in the Colombian national side. So, definitely not a football hipster. But Jurgen Klopp makes my heart swell. I love that man. The fact that he's Borussia team play with this kind of ridiculously united in the 90s-esque style and the fact that it seems to me that Jurgen Klopp is going to be turning down the Barcelona and Manchester United jobs in the summer to stay at a team whose players keep getting bought off by their biggest rivals who have like this kind of commercial juggernaut. Bought by their biggest rivals, but not bought off, bought by, you know, <laughs> before the buying lawyers sue us here. Yeah, well, quite, yeah, sorry, picked off, I sort of meant. It's just absolutely extraordinary levels of loyalty I, I can't quite get over it Ed. well that's one way of putting it the, the, the counter argument is not necessarily one I believe but I'm just, just putting it out there is that uh, he doesn't have the mentality to take on an elite club job if he keeps turning them down so if you believe this 
Um, he's turned down Manchester City, Chelsea, Real Madrid, Paris Saint-Germain and Barcelona as well as United. I mean, the thing is, you can't really say he doesn't have the personality to take on an elite club job when his team won the Bundesliga two seasons in a row and then got to the Champions League final the following season. So it kind of he's made them into an elite club, but I guess they're certainly not financially an elite club, are they? Well, no, it would be great, but he's uh, committed to staying on till the end of his contract, so he's not moving for another couple of years yet. At least he will He will surely find himself at one of the top clubs. The, the Barcelona um, offer... Uh, was genuine and real uh, so says my snout in Spain so uh, we'll see and he also says while we're on uh, managers in that neck of the woods that uh, Simeone is far more likely to go to Italy thinks it's a better cultural fit and not this summer either so we'll see whether either of those two things come true who else is in the frame uh, Antonio Conte yeah you know he's done a fantastic job at Juve doesn't seem like he is Lauren Blanc a bit of a racist massively misogynist as well problematically well it's all right to cop a feel now and again but you know unacceptable Ed <laughs> unacceptable Talk, talking a bit sleazy Reddish's left wing shout is uh, Carlos Quiroz why is he sleazy Ed is there something I don't know about or do you just mean it would be a bit of an underhanded deal to get the cheap option in. I'm not going to fill that one in. Frank De Boer, he's another option maybe. He's done a fantastic job with Ajax. I mean, four SD division titles in a row now and uh, surely moving on to a bigger bigger job somewhere else. Maybe I'll end up at Spurs if United take Van Gaal. I mean, you think, you'd think that De Boer is really hurt by the fact that Moyes had the job and failed so spectacularly so United are going to be really uh, what's the word they're going to be really risk averse with this selection you would imagine interesting to watch the selection process because like as always at Manchester United so much of what is wrong goes back to the Glazers like under investment in the squad we clearly know that the people responsible for that are the Glazers the fact that there are no football people in position to choose. So the good word is that Ferguson will have his say on who the next manager should be, as will Charlton and the rest of the board. But the final decision will be with the Glazers this time. Um, and presumably Woodward will have a big impact on this. But the lack of football nous in that collective, really, once you discount Ferguson, um, who obviously his recommendation is not going to be treated with the reverence that his previous recommendation was treated because he got it so spectacularly and publicly wrong and on a sort of side note kind of interesting to see that having said your job is to stand by our new manager the club gave me time in difficult circumstances etc etc Fergie has turned on Moyes too and was perfectly happy to see him get the boot I'm sure not happy but you know perfectly content with the club's decision apparently yes well he certainly hasn't said anything in the contrary has he no and the, and the brief from the club is that that's the case and then there's been no counter briefing so you'd expect that there might be otherwise just shows you how, what an appalling job Moyes has done but then I think this happened at the time when Moy said even Sir Alex would be struggling with this squad. I thought you really shouldn't have said that, mate, because Sir Alex Ferguson's ego is your biggest ally in this battle here. Well, exactly. Anyway, look, let's uh, let's dive into Van Hal, shall we? So uh, my money is on him getting the job. Uh, I think I think what they'll do is they'll try and make some signings. They'll get a word from Van Hal that he wants it. It seems that he does. And um, they'll get him basically signed up. He's out of contract with the Netherlands after the World Cup. And they'll go off and try and chase down his targets while letting everyone know that he's got the job. Yeah, I mean, that's Um, what's going on already, sort of, isn't it? Pretty much. So, I mean, a very interesting choice. Known as a disciplinarian. uh, Certainly gave him trouble when he was at Bayern Munich. Although he 
shaped the club up after two spectacularly rubbish seasons before he joined and got them into, you know, he won the league with Bayern, also got them into the position, you'd say, for the success they're having now, made some very good signings. He's 62 now, so it might be his last big job. You'd hope it's not just a case of topping up his pension, and he really is hungry for another elite club job. Um, let's hope so. And uh, he's, a, he's a man who plays good football. I'd say it's possession-based football. It's not... Um, not typical Manchester United football, you'd say, but uh, they play good football. And we'll see at the, the World Cup that Holland do play some good football, but it is about keeping the ball and then striking when you can. And um, it typically plays a 4-3-3, certainly will with uh, the Netherlands. He's played different systems over the years, but it might even suit the players United have got right now to do that. I think it would very well, wouldn't it? I mean, And, you know, he's a man who knows his way around a really big club. Yeah, uh, and right now that seems like a very positive uh, quality to have. I mean, not an unmitigated success, like not Ferguson esque. Although actually, I guess even Fergie had lean years, but he he had a rough time. Didn't didn't get the Netherlands to the two thousand and two World Cup today, and the, there's been ruptions and falling outs. I mean, Munich he won the league, and then the next season they finished fourth. And really interesting to read Rafa Honigstein's breakdown of exactly what went wrong, and you can basically summarise it as essentially everything. You know, it reminded me of your fifty things Moyes got wrong piece, although it was only eleven things that Van Gaal had got wrong. Um, and as you say, that, that that then laid the framework and. He's also pleasingly insane. He gave this amazing victory speech in Munich where he said, we're not just the champions of Munich, we're also the champions of Gelsenkirchen and Hamburg. And and you kind of imagine him standing outside under the Matt Busby statue with a mic in his hand going, we're also the champions of Liverpool and Newcastle and London, you know, all that stuff. So that'd be quite fun. Um, Very good. Uh, Word is that he wants, well, word from the Irish examiner is that he wants Roy Keane as his number two. Beautiful. What like somebody? I was talking about that earlier, and someone said, "Cut that!" Be like good cop, bad cop every single day. So like, no, that would be insanely terrifying cop, insanely terrifying cop. I mean, Roy Keane, very, very scathing about the stories of player power, as you would expect him to be on the Champions League coverage. Funnily enough, said you can't blame Alex Ferguson for this, which if Roy Keane can't find a way to blame Alex Ferguson, then really, I mean, maybe he is making peace with the club. Maybe that is his kind of, you know, sending up the smoke signals that actually he'd be prepared to work at United again. You can't see that one happening. Yeah. Yeah, interest. No, I, I can't see it happening. I mean, look, there's another way of uh, of analysing the class of '92 in the club as well, though, which is the new man may feel that he's going to be undermined by that, and you know, that's I think that's a legitimate concern, really, because it doesn't half look like Ryan Giggs was a bit devious and uh, distances himself <laughs> yeah. from Moyes and then takes a job. Clearly very ambitious. He wants a job. He's not going to get it this time round. He may in the future. You know, I, I don't know whether you can equate this with Guardiola and Barcelona. Guardiola did have a, a season running the B team, and uh, I'm not quite sure that Giggs's four games will quite count uh, as that. So, you know, maybe not. Uh, Stan Collymore says that uh, Giggs doesn't have the intelligence of of Guardiola and therefore uh, isn't the same thing it's uh, some irony in that statement I thought also you know anyone that's watched the class of 92 documentary 
Ryan Giggs is fiercely intelligent as well. That's well, the, quite, the, the yes. kind of crazy thing about that. He's not great in interviews sometimes. He does give it the kind of thousand-yard stare and, and sort of ums and errs a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I, I was struck by his, his quick-wittedness and his dry humour and the fact that he's definitely the leader. Yeah. Um, you know, he was, he was alpha male in that film, wasn't he? And uh, making fun of Phil Neville and making fun of Phil Neville being... Uh, abused as a junior it's interesting that you say that actually i hadn't really thought of that but you're right it was he was definitely alpha and in a group which has got kind of david beckham and even gary neville's kind of a different sort of alpha male but gary neville's more like a lieutenant isn't he? he's like the guy that you put into battle to get stuff done for you you know but yeah that's that's really interesting gary neville's in a real awkward position now isn't he because he's been horrendously opposed to the sacking of David Moyes and you know all this kind of United have behaved disgracefully and all this stuff but then now all his best mates are in charge all at once what's he gonna do what's he gonna do if United are rubbish how is he gonna how's he gonna analyze that game you know oh everyone I love most in the world (laughs) did a terrible job this week the coaches are terrible especially that Neville (laughs) yeah I I mean the gigs thing on the morning it was announced manunited.com they've since changed this photo but they used like a really devious looking photo of Ryan Giggs when they first announced the uh, appointment it's like just him with a kind of slightly Machiavellian grin on his face as if, oh, I have achieved everything that I set out to achieve. <laughs> nice. Yeah. But yeah, it's going to be really fun having... Uh, what what sort of football is he going to play, Ed? Who, Giggs or, or Van Hull? Um, no, Giggs. Giggs. I've no idea. This is the thing. None of us know anything about Giggs' coaching philosophy. The The one interview I read um, when he talked about how he liked to play was he'd have a few wingers in there, was the, the quote. <laughs> so uh, Ashley Young and Antonio Valencia is at the weekend. No question about that. Uh, Yanazai will play. I bet Kagawa Mata and Yanazai will all start. I bet. I bet he'll give the fans what they want. You know. Uh, I tell you what, I'd, I'd get a raging boner if that happened. <laughs> or, almost as big as yours when, uh, when Moy's got the boot or Danny Welbeck scores a hat trick. Both of those things are good, but neither of them are exciting to me in that specific way. I just want to make that abundantly clear. The uh, Van Haar situation is kind of interesting in terms of big personalities at United and you think that actually one of the reasons that there's only eight people in the world who can manage the elite clubs is because they're the ones that are used to dealing with the power structures that exist in those those elite clubs so it's Ancelotti has got Zidane on the bench with him at Real Madrid but there's no sense that he's being undermined by that you know no good point good point and and of course Zidane was a major power broker at Real Madrid before he sort of moved into the coaching so um, yeah, I, th- I think one thing that's that's missing. Whoever comes in, it looks like it will be Ancelotti or Van Hal. If they can extract Ancelotti, they might go for that, and it might be a better choice, you know, in a way because he's he's a bit younger and and uh, he might have a, a little more time. But uh, whichever way, I think either of them are big enough guys to to take on some of the the lads of '92. And I I think it's right if if the club are going down this route and they you know they want to say we want to have some continuity with the past and that continuity is gigs skulls neville and butt in coaching positions and serious coaching positions not sort of uh, superficial ones which you know appear to be this season at times then that's the right thing that's what Bayern munich do right you know the their ex-players going to coaching managing or into executive management and barcelona have done a very similar thing sort of it seems like a good policy doesn't it one of the other things that's missing though i think is that link between 
Woodward and the Glazers and the manager. I'm not saying that's necessarily a director of football, but there's someone in there who doesn't know the scene, you know, or there's someone in there who needs to know the scene in the way that Gill did and Ferguson did. And and it, it feels like a gap, doesn't it, in quality. So if they appoint a man who knows how to work his way around the European transfer scene and knows the big agents and so on and stuff as well, then that might help a bit. Yeah, but I would very much worry about the ego of the people that are currently in those roles because Woodward, to me, strikes me as someone with a bit of an ego situation. And this is like, this is, this really is speculation because this is based on not very much information. This isn't something I would feel confident about saying. But the fact that he's kind of basically wormed his way from what was it, Deloitte's, where he was before? Right. Uh, Ernst and Young or one of them was it anyway whoever it was he's wormed his way from that to being the most senior executive at Manchester United this is like a a kind of schoolboy fantasy for Ed Woodward and you can see that in his actions in the transfer market so we've been linked with this bid for Luke with Luke Shaw for a long time and I've I've got some real concerns about us spending what is reported to be and this was a pretty serious report in the Guardian you know how you can tell the difference right between different sorts of transfer rumor reports this one had broken down exactly how much we were planning to pay for him and how much uh, we were going to give him a week and the rumors are that he's going to be on a hundred grand a week in order to keep him from going to Chelsea to me this is a this is that's obviously a very high risk transfer strategy isn't it to pay a player that young who's never played at a top club that kind of money well it is high risk I mean he's very high quality as well and so I guess in a way that mirrors what they did with Rooney all those years ago it looks like they're going to try and spend their way out of trouble which is um one way of doing it, I suppose, and uh, but also seems kind of counterintuitive to the way they've been behaving uh, in recent years, you know, doesn't it? So yeah, but you've you've long advocated that that's the way they that's what you've got to do, isn't it? You know, it, even just from the the pure financial perspective, you've got to heavily invest, speculate to accumulate, sort of a situation. Well, look, so there's there's two things I've said, and just to just to be really clear about this, because I get people. Uh, accusing me of oh you just want to spend like City and Chelsea no it's like there are two things one there's a very tight correlation between how much you spend on wages and your success very very tight correlation Uh, and there's a slightly less tight correlation on how much you spend on transfer fees and your success Uh, so basically you spend money generally you're successful and the deviation from the mean or the bit that goes away from that tight correlation is is your manager and it's plus or minus 10 percent right and we said in professional sport plus or minus 10 percent is a world away Uh, and uh, i think as i was chatting to you before if uh, ferguson gave us plus 10 percent moise has given us minus 20 percent and that that 20 percent swing has uh, has been about the points difference this <laughs> yes so that's one thing so spending money does equal success and the other the other point i've made about that spending of money and or lack of there at united is that for the glazers business model to work they do not need to be number one they don't need to be the best in europe and they don't need to be the best in england but they need to be there or thereabouts and uh, make sure they keep bringing those sponsors. They're in the sort of the latter-ish stages of the Champions League reasonably frequently, uh, and they get the right kind of exposure. And then they keep bringing in the commercial dollars. You know, Edward were talking about how much commercial revenue Liverpool are able to generate, even though he had no success. Well, he was waiting himself for that, wasn't he? You know, and the reason why that matters is because when you go from good players to very good players, you jump up a few million. When you go from very good players to the absolute very best 
you know, sort of 20 players in the world, you jump up a lot and and you pay a massive premium for it. Uh, or uh, another way of putting it is there are uh, diminishing returns on your dollar spent or your pound or your euro. And, you know, the Glazers yeah. don't need to do that for their business model to work. So I've always been suspicious that United will somehow suddenly start spending 150 or 200 million. That number keeps coming up. So someone somewhere is saying it. So maybe the policy has changed. We'll see. It's also like, but 200 million isn't that much money. I mean, it's obviously an insanely large amount of money. But at the very, very top level that you're talking about, it's two, three, two players, two and a half players of the top 20 players in the world. You know, maybe you could squeeze it to four if you if you somehow get them for 50 million each. But, you know. Well, look, if United, if United buy five 30 million pound players and one 50 million pound player, they'll have had a very, very good summer. Yeah, and, and we, we very much don't think that's what's going to happen. But you never know, because we didn't think we were going to buy Van Persie. And before that... There's been a variety of one matter as well, of course. You know, United have also spent an absolute fortune in the past season. You know, matter was a very, very expensive transfer. And Fellaini was an incredibly expensive transfer, which was also very poor value. Although I do think whoever comes next is likely to keep Fellaini if he can keep him happy in a kind of squad rotation situation. Cause We're not going to get much money for him. Absolutely not. And he is potentially quite a useful player to have around in certain specific circumstances. So... There you go. That'll be summer. We've got nothing to talk about for the next few weeks, so we'll talk about transfers over and over again, I suspect. (laughs) I just want to very briefly bring up the fact that Edinson Cavani has been heavily linked with a move to United, and if they spend £60 on Cavani, I'm going to be gutted until then he hits the ground running and scores a ton of goals, because that would seem to me to be a massively misguided direction for us to be putting our money in. Not that he's a bad player, just that he could not be... We just don't need anyone in the final third of the pitch, do we? That's not where we need to strengthen. Well, unless it means they're selling Rooney. Ah, yes, of course, yes. Which they're not, but... uh... No, they have that £300,000 a week millstone around their neck. Thank you very much, David Moyes. <laughs> um, so, it's over, Ed. Let, we, get to, we get to speculate on that nice, happy, exciting, really cool, fun things. Let's lay a marker down, right? Moving on. Highly speculative because we don't even know uh, who's going to get the job. But right now... Do you think, what do you think a successful season next season is going to be for whoever it is that's in charge? So it, it really depends. Sorry, that sounds like sitting on the fence. Definitely qualifying for the Champions League. They have to do that. Yeah. Uh, and um, yeah, and that's going to be competitive. Uh, odds are right now that it's uh, five to one that United qualify for the Champions League next season. That's um, Wow. That's, uh, there's some good money there to be had, I'd say. Yeah, gosh, that's... That's that's those are long odds, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. No, I was looking at that and I thought, hmm, might have a might have a few pounds on that one. And um, so, yeah, they definitely have to qualify for the Champions League. I, I don't suspect they actually have to win the league, uh, although putting in a creditable season. But the, the depends bit is how many players they bring in, because if it's two, yeah, that mm, you might think they haven't filled the class gap, but certainly not to the best in Europe. If it's five. You might think, wow, this looks exciting, but he's got to make those players gel. Uh, look, look at what happened to yep. Spurs. They bought some very good players who just don't appear to be very good in a Spurs team. So there, I think there's a range. We'll see. I think we can make an easier call on that one after the World Cup and 
United appear to be looking to do all their business early. You'd hope so, because after the World Cup, it's going to get very desperate, isn't it? And United might end up paying some very high premium fees for not very good players. They wouldn't want to do that now, would they? I, I was thinking if it's Van Gaal, there's two wildly different scenarios. Because like, the Van Gaal decision will be made before the World Cup, right? It's not. We're not going to wait until after the World Cup to decide who the manager is next. Right. You, like, imagine Holland have a kind of vintage Dutch World Cup. I don't mean in the good way. I mean like the squad falls apart at the seams and they fail to qualify from the group. And then Van Gaal comes to United versus if they have a kind of triumphant probably not even they would obviously not have to win it because that's a huge long shot in brazil but like you know they get to the semi-finals and put in a really creditable shift and he kind of comes on a real high those two scenarios are really different for how the beginning of united season looks next season aren't they well very much so i predict if uh, holland do a holland that within 10 games of van hals coming to united you're hashtagging van hal out <laughs> no i i have to say the the whole thing about being so specifically Moise Owl, I've had a real conscience about it genuinely because it is not natural for me, like character wise. It's not it's not my natural character inclination, and it was always been based on the fact that he felt so very very wrong for the job, and it really wasn't about results per se. It was about the fact that it appeared that the whole dressing room, that he'd lost the dressing room altogether, which is clearly the case. It was about all the stuff we banged on about for ages earlier. You know, all the media stuff, everything, the tactics, the whole package. You know, someone having a rocky start to their managerial career at United isn't... I, I certainly won't be turning on them and saying, get out straight away, if there's some signs in there somewhere. I went back and watched videos of Alex Ferguson's early interviews and I really honestly, with my hand on my heart, believe I would have been Team Fergie all the way because you look into his eyes. I mean, it's obviously you can't completely separate out what you know about what was to come, but you look into his eyes in that first interview the kind of as many players around many people around the world have tremendous feeling for Manchester United and if the players get that, we'll be all right. You know, there, there, there was something in that that was profound, it was poetic, it was heartfelt, it was real. He got it from day one. Well, you, hey, 1989, I was 14 years old. Pretty sure I wasn't Fergie out. Not that I had a blog and a podcast <laughs> then, but uh, and Twitter didn't exist. You know, I, I'm not sure that I was on the uh, military Usenet or whatever it was that was available in those days, but pretty sure neither of us had a modem for our Amstrad CPC four six fours in nineteen eighty nine. No, no, I did have a Pulse modem a few years later though. I'd go geek out. Anyway, look, uh, we're coming to the conclusion of this show, I guess, but we haven't talked about the Norwich game. Um, oh yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be good, isn't it? Here's my prediction: United are going to rip Norwich a new one. <laughs> All that frustration is going to come out. Uh, Delia's boys are going to get it. <laughs> so, uh, De Gea in goal. If he's fit, Raphael at right back. If he's not fit, Jones not Smalling at right back. That's my prediction. I would go with that. I don't think Raphael's fit, but you know we'll see. Um, he's got to pick Ferdinand, hasn't he? It makes such a statement. <laughs> he's got to pick Ferdinand. Um, one interesting point about Ferdinand in all the stuff that's come out this week, like there's been this long-running assumption that it was Rio that's been leaking the team sheets, but. Everyone I've seen, like all the journalists, everyone saying it's not Rio to the extent that I really don't think it's Rio, and the, the accusation is is one of the young players. Mm. And and another, it appears no- to be TC thirty thirty three. 
<laughs> you're kind of demoting him in squad numbers for next season. Oh, fair enough. One of the things that I think, and just to mention one final knock on Moyes, is I think he picked on easy targets. You know, he he was not nice to Danny Welbeck, and of course I find that to be unacceptable behaviour in general. But specifically, uh, you know, he, the the fact that he kind of said, "Oh, Welbeck should copy Rooney." You know, and 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 then uh, after the Everton game, he he kind of just threw Phil Jones under the bus, going, "Oh, such a stupid penalty to give away," and it was. But Phil Jones is still a very young man, you know. And the the this story going around now that Ryan Giggs kind of advised Moyes against fining Cleverly and Welbeck for being out late drinking in Bayern Munich, and he wouldn't have done that to the senior players. You know, he he really did pick on the younger players because he could get away with it. Anyway, well, he didn't do it to a senior player, one of his favourites, who turned up worse for wear. Right. So goes the story. Right. When you say one of his favourites, since we've already established he only really had two favourites and we couldn't call Marouane Fellaini a senior player, I think we might know who you're implying it is, Ed. So, Norwich. Yeah, back to Norwich. So I, I know it's hard to get you off the, the subject of bashing <laughs> Moyes. <laughs> Um, the Norwich, like in midfield, so uh, skulls uh, and gigs just in front of them, right? <laughs> That's what we're. Are we assuming that um, Ever is taking a left back position and it's not Alex Butner? I think so, yeah. Uh, Rumours of a three year contract extension for Patrice Ever. That really does. I mean, I love Patrice Ever, but lunatics running the asylum would be right at that point, wouldn't it? Yes, I, I would extend his contract uh, as well as bringing yeah, in a, another left back. Absolutely. You know, a, a top quality left back and not a hopeful one. But um, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think in losing Ferdinand and Vidic and Evra, you're losing too much experience there. I, I would be tempted to keep Ferdinand on for another season as well. I know he's not been very good this season, but I think there are games he could play. I mean, the, we didn't talk about the whole Vidic scenario, but can you imagine Ferguson allowing that to happen? Uh, one of his players being photographed with a shirt of the team he's playing for next season? Absolutely not. Don't think so. Yeah. So, yeah, I think some experience is going to be key. So definitely I'd keep Evra and maybe Ferdinand too. Um, uh, Midfield, I don't think Giz can pick himself for the first game. So we'll see. It'd be nice if he played Kigawa, Mata and Yanazai, wouldn't it? Um, Not sure that he will, but why not? Uh, it's there's not much to lose now is there and it put a marker down I guess in midfield you'll, you'll play Carrick and, and one other it, it'd be a nice statement as well to drop Fellaini wouldn't it I, I don't know I, I kind of feel like I, I kind of like the idea of like Fellaini being accepted as a kind of a lost lamb you know who was separated from his his previous flock and this kind of apparently mean new big boys sort of like put an arm around the shoulder and say, oh, it's all right, Marouane, you're one of us now. Mm. He's got to be feeling a bit isolated. And then, of course, he's got to pick Welbs up front. <laughs> yes, gosh. Oh, I mean, I, you know, if he doesn't pick Rooney, that would be so funny. I mean, just just forget everything else, whether it's a good decision or anything else. It would be hilarious, just just for the kind of the, the meta implications of that. I, I very strongly suspect he'll pick Rooney up front because there's never really been any uh, sense of strong antipathy between Giggs and Rooney, has there? No, come on then. What's your prediction for the game? Uh, 7-0 to United. Really? Uh, no, uh, 4-1. 4-1. 4-1's a good, good score. I, I'm going to say 4-0. I, I, mean, I definitely think United are going to thrash them. I'd be really surprised if it's another... It definitely won't be a tepid performance. I mean, they've got they've got to be on edge, these players. They've got to be... You know, They, they realise now they've, they've done for the new manager, the old manager, sorry. He was new once. 
And uh, if they keep putting performances in like that, they're going to be out this summer. So it, it's got to be good now. And just one thing about the transfer targets before we move, before we kind of finish the show. Given that we don't have a manager, apparently, as you said, Moyes has been heavily involved and the Luke Shaw deal is what he was working on the day before he was sacked. Who is, who's identifying transfer targets? Is it Fergie? Is that who's, because if, it certainly can't just be Woodward acting as a de facto director of football. Although this was derided uh, in the briefings, iPads and analytics and Moyes' brand new scouting system, they do have a strong network. It, it might have been an old boys network, but there's also Lawler, the chief scout. So there are plenty of people who've been looking at players for a very long time. Uh, and then, yes, there's Fergie and there's Gill, who's still being paid by the club, so he's working the circuit too. Uh, and then they'll farm it out to their favourite agencies. Uh, it seems like they're working with Gestafute again. They didn't for a while. Uh, so uh, Jorge Mendez is back on the scene and a few of the other big agents. So Van Hal odds on, and I guess, obviously, he's odds on for a reason. It, briefings happened simultaneously, didn't they? There was that wash of new information coming out in the papers all at once, and Van Hal's name was mentioned in all of those. So obviously there's briefing going on there, and it's just a question of whether that's coming from the club or Van Hal's people. And then there was the, the, the kind of Ancelotti stuff really span up the next day. I mean, I'm fascinated by the mechanics of all this, of who's saying what to whom and how it's getting in the papers and how much of it's just speculation. Uh, but as you say, when it's the same thing in multiple papers and it's not them reporting on each other's reports, then you kind of know that someone's someone's saying something somewhere, right? Yes. Woodward, Woodward, Yes, Wuwa does like a phone call, let me tell you that. And uh, yeah, definitely been briefing. Anyway, we'll find out in the weeks to come. We've got plenty of time to speculate about transfers. I think some of that will solidify in a the next few weeks. Do you think there's any chance that it's going to be someone other than Van Hal? No, I, I think four to six on is the right number. Yeah, yeah. I, so I think, yeah, there's the a chance. Only, the only, a he wants one. a job and United... Um, we'd like to get him in uh, if there's any concerns about his sort of post-World Cup. So if he can't start till mid-July or maybe even early August because he needs a post-World Cup break or something like that, that might be a problem. But as I said, they, it looks like they're putting a strategy to buy players anyway. So uh, you know, that's my call for now. I think it's going to be Van Hal, and I think they'll find room in the coaching setup for Giggs and Skulls and Butt and Neville. He might bring a one or two of his own people in as well. You know, that wouldn't be a surprise. But there you go, onwards and upwards. Yes. It's, uh, yes. It, it certainly can't get worse than it was. No, I, I am just relieved and delighted. And the sheer wave of optimism, and there's lots of, lots of people that come out badly from the whole affair, including some players that I'm very fond of, and that's, that's you know, it's all very unfortunate. But I, there is this opportunity, isn't there, to draw a line through David Moyes' name in the history books, you know. In... 10 years time I'm going to go God do you remember David Moyes managed us for a season what was that about you know and, and I look forward to that time and it, it is lovely that we just don't get another season of that so I think it's really tremendously good news for all concerned about the club that they've they've acted swiftly and I'm, I'm not concerned about what it means about our identity I think it's probably pretty good news all round very good so uh, we'll be back with another one of these presumably a considerably shorter one of these next week in the meantime you can get me at UTD Rankcast on Twitter you can get Ed at United Rant uh, you can get us both at facebook.com slash United 
United Rant and you can read what Ed has to say at unitedrant.co.uk and lots of other fine writers there and you can read my stuff over at the Bleacher Report. I think that's about it, isn't it, Ed? It certainly is. We'll see you about this time next week and hopefully we'll have some good news on the transfer front, maybe some good news on the managerial front. We'll see. Uh, Not necessarily going to happen that quickly. 